Before I invite up our Dion, I had just really um, asked God what it is that he'd like me to impress for today. And um, obviously we can go on and on about this 2020 thing, but really it is connected to what I want to share with you today. Um, When we think of 2020, we think of vision, don't we? We think of 2020 vision. Well, certainly I do. And 2020 vision actually refers to normal vision. It's like standing in this line 2020 vision means that we all see the same thing. That's normal vision. It's normal, clear, focused vision. And so then you get 20, 40, 20, 120, whatever. And that means the, the, diff- the distances that somebody with normal vision would stand back compared to somebody with weak vision. So somebody with 2020 vision would stand at a 40 feet v- line for somebody with weakened eyesight. And that person at the front would be called the one with 2040 vision. This is very complicated, hey? It's probably unnecessary. Anyway. On 2020 vision, um, we we start this year, and I think that it's so important that as a family of believers, as sons and daughters, we kind of go, God, we want your eyes, we want your vision, we want our vision, the normal vision that we see this world with to be yours. We want your lens into how we see everything. And um, I know that at the beginning of of years, we set goals, and we're like, oh, I want this, and I want to know that by the end of this year, I've done this and that, and I've achieved all these things. And so these... um, these two verses, well, actually the first verse came to mind and then later this one, but Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. And then it's very similar, I find, to this verse in Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we start these years and we have these desires in our heart and we, we have these things that we're seeking and we go, oh, I seek the kingdom of God and then he'll give us all these things will be given unto you. And I think so often um, we come into this, this faith thing with such a consumeristic lens. It's, it's kind of like, if I do these things, then I'll get that. And we can almost have this kind of genie effect with God where it's, it's kind of like, well, if I, if I tithe and if I do this and if I do this and if I do it, and I put him first in all these things, then I'll get what I want. He'll give me the desires of my heart. All these things will be added unto me. But you know what stood out to me this week as I, as I reflected on this was, it's, but seek first the kingdom. And seek speaks to searching and looking and really focusing. And if our focus is first and foremost the kingdom, then what actually happens is that it's not that we get all those things we want or all the desires of our heart. It's that our desires change in line with what he wants. And he, that's, that's this beauty of standing with 2020 vision is that we're all looking to want the same things that he wants. And that is to see his kingdom break out wherever we are, with love, with peace, with joy, just wherever we are, to, to take this lens, this 2020 vision that our Father wants us to have, to seek his kingdom in every single situation, in, in how we uh, do friendships, in how we work, in how we interact in schools, in, in going past somebody on the side of the road and just feeling a prompting of sorts, but just going, how do I, in this moment, in this day, see this world with his kingdom and have any work in restoring kingdom to this person, this situation, or whatever the case may be? So um, that's what I just wanted to kick us off with this year, is that, to, that we would each of us really ask God to give us his vision, that we would all be standing in the same place just going, we're all about the kingdom. We're all about seeing what God wants to see happen in this place in this world around us. Um, And with that, I'd like to ask Dion to come up. While he comes up, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dion. Why don't you give him a hand? Sorry. 
Dion um, joined our family about a year ago, and um, he joined our life group. And it wasn't long until we discovered that this guy is absolutely passionate about the Word of God. And um, this has uh, caused him to, for years, um, study the Hebraic meaning behind things and really just dig and delve as deep as possible into fully understanding and, and drawing out the beauty of Scripture. And um, I don't even think we need a chair for him because he gets very excitable and he is likely <laughs> to stage dive. Um, he really um, finds it difficult to contain his excitement about the scripture and about what God's saying. And I think that this message is a profound way to set us up for the year because it's also going to enrich and deepen our understanding of God through the, through the Bible. Um, th- this message today is a gift, guys. And I know that for each and every one of you after hearing this today, when you open up your Bible, you're just going to see it with new life and with fresh eyes, with with 2020 vision from our father. Um, so, Dion, can you just try and sit for a moment? Thank you. <laughs> um, let's just try and start like that. Um, it's, it's just, thank you so much for doing this and for being so willing to share. We know it's an absolute passion of yours. And um, Dion, Dion used to be a restaurateur. He's now an architect. But um, he's also, he, you'll see, he has an incredible gift to teach. And then at the end of the service, he'll, he'll surprise us all because he's one of these ridiculously multi-talented people. He asked me not to say that. But anyway, he will then play the piano and sing and um, basically could run a church on his own. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you for Dion, this um, brother of ours. Thank you that, Father, you have put inside of his heart such a, a deep love and passion of your word and a desire to share it. And so, Father, we just, um, we just want to fully engage today with what he has to share and may this um, just fuel a fire and a passion in all of our hearts. Thank you, King. Amen. Amen. Am I on? <laughs> okay. So, Dion, just to kick it off, you know, we always try and go like, well, what's the name of a, of, of, of a message when we aren't within a preach series? Because typically we're in a preach series, but once in a while we do these one-offs. And um, today really would have been um, called The Name of God. And um, can you tell us why? And um, why is a name so important or significant? Well, I guess when you want to communicate with anybody, the first thing you want to know is who's that person's name, because, I mean, that is who you address the person as. So, yeah, I think name in that sense is very, very important. Um, in, in the Hebraic culture, a name is a prophetic utterance of character. So... That is why you read in the Bible, um, it, it's also something that you wear. That's why you read in the Bible, for example, clothe yourself with Christ. Um, we see that Jesus changed the name of Abraham to Abraham. And it's all because um, the name itself is a prophetic utterance of character. So uh, God saw in Abraham something that was not in his name. So he changed his name to Abraham. And I think there's many... Um, um, examples like um, he, he changed Sarah's name to Sarah, he changed Jacob's name to Israel, Simon to Peter and so forth from Reed to Rock. Um, so he changed um, all of these names and um, yeah, so that is to show us that it is, it's not just a name you, you don't just, it's not like Dion it's, I mean, it means, well it actually means something. It's Tell them what it means Dion because <laughs> it's, it's a little bit confusing because it doesn't Hey, yeah, it's basically God of wine. 
Yay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the funny thing is Dion doesn't drink wine. <laughs> I like the Scottish wine, but they don't call it wine, though. <laughs> and, and the name is also very important to make a covenant. Now, if you see how many covenants God made with, with people, I mean, seven covenants in the Bible, for example, he made a covenant with you and me are in covenant with God. And to make a covenant in the Hebraic culture is... The name is of utmost importance because you need to know, I mean, who you are in covenant with. I mean, you might sign up for like a million dollars in debt if you, if you don't know who you're actually dealing with. So, yeah, in that case, that is why a name is very important. Cool. And um, Dion, just I think it's so important before we really get into the gist of your message. Um, you've been on this incredible journey of, of digging into how to read it as a Hebrew or a Jewish person, yeah. you know, because that, that adds layers and layers and layers of richness to what we read. So can you just share a bit with that on, on the basics of what you've discovered to help us all okay. understand how you read it? Um, first of all, I, I think my search for the truth started about a couple of, probably about 14 years ago when I wanted to know the truth. I couldn't read the, the, the Old Testament. I promise you, I, I just couldn't. I fell asleep. So I started... I'm studying Hebrew, and I started studying the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew way of thinking, the Hebrew way of, of doing everything, because I really wanted to understand, because, I mean, the Bible, this Bible is a Hebrew book, and it's written by Hebrew people, and it's inspired by Hebrew God, so it, it makes sense that we have to know exactly, you know, how it was perceived, so that we can understand that word perfectly. Um, so, in my studies, I've come to realize that the Bible is a, is, it's a living book. One of the rabbis said that there's only, non, non -holy, only one page non-holy in the Bible, and that's the, the, the um, blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because I, in my studies, I actually realized that all the, the New Testament writers point us back to Genesis 1 and, and point us back to the creation itself again. And in studying the Old Testament, I realized that, I mean, nothing, everything is still relevant today. Every single thing, and that there is, everything is connected um, in the Bible itself. Um, there's, there's a lot of differences in, in our way of thinking. We think the Greek way, and the, the way that the Hebrew people think. And I, I actually made a list of only eight things that I want to really, really uh, quickly run through. And because there's no overheads, it was supposed to be there so that it makes it easier for you. It's, it's not there, so please don't tune me out. Um, I'm going to um, start with the first one. If, if we make a point, say, for example, 1 plus 2 plus 3 equals 6, 6 being our point. The Hebrew people don't do that. They say 1 plus 2 plus 3 equals 6 equals 3 plus 2 plus 1. In other words, they make statements, then they have their point, and then they make counter statements. Um, a good example, and I wish I had the overheads now, is the first uh, sentence in the Bible, for example. In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. Now, it's, it's seven words, really. In the fourth position, there's a word that was never translated. It was Aleph Tav. And in the fourth position, there's another word, same word, Aleph Tav, which was never translated. The rabbis didn't know what it was. They actually didn't know, and that, therefore it was never translated. No one knew what this was until Jesus from heaven um, spoke and said, I am the olive and the tough. Obviously, Jesus didn't speak uh, Greek. He speak Hebrew. So that is what he said. In our Bibles, it reads, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So if you read your Bible again, think about these things. 
you'll see that the point is, is very often in the, right in the middle, and then there will be statements before and statements afterwards. Whether it's the same statement or counter-statement, but they will, um, they will correlate. Um, there's a... Um, God designed a... Uh, um, it, 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 it's, a um, it's called a menorah. It holds candles. And this uh, menorah was supposed to be in the... Uh, was part of the temple. Now, the, if you look at the menorah, the menorah is exactly like that. It's got three candles on this side and three candles on this side. And in the middle, that's the actual point. The Hebrews call that middle one the servant. It, it basically means that whatever anointing you think you operate in, if you don't have a servant's heart, because the, the Hebrew people used to light all the other candles with a middle candle, with a servant. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. Uh, the next thing is we think... Um, Form. If I say to you, hand, what do you think? The first thing, hand. They don't think that like that. They think the function of a hand, how I cover with a hand, I protect with a hand. That is, that's how Hebrew people think. And the Bible is written like that as well. Um, examples is where God says, I hit Moses in the uh, crevice of the rock. Now, with my hand. So, has God got a hand? No, God is a spirit. So, when Hebrew people read that, they would read, oh, he hid Moses in the rock. He protected Moses in the rock. Uh, my firm favorite um, example to use here is, is when the, that one guy asked Jesus, how can I follow you? What is the cost of following you? And Jesus gave him an answer that really actually doesn't, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Jesus said to him, um, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man hasn't got a place to lay his head. So now we, with our Greek thinking, um, read that, and then we make assumptions. Oh, shame. Jesus was actually poor. He didn't have a house to stay, which is actually completely wrong. Because in the Bible, it makes references of two places where, Je where Jesus actually invited people to his house. Number one. Number two, he was definitely not poor because he was a rabbi and he earned um, to Roma. He had more followers than anybody else because he was a new kid on the block. So what the Hebrew people, what Jesus actually meant there was, remember now, he's, Jesus is a Hebrew person. He thinks um, the function, not the form. So um, birds have nests. What do birds do in nests? They lay eggs in nests, right? So they reproduce themselves in nests. What do foxes do in holes? They don't sleep there. They have babies in holes. So what Jesus was saying Birds have nests to reproduce themselves. Foxes have holes to reproduce themselves. But the Son of Man has not yet got a body to put his head. Head in, in, in Hebrew, what is the function of a head? Authority. To put his head as authority. So he was referring to the body of Christ that was uh, born in an axe. Okay, so th that, is, that is the real answer that he gave him there. Um, can you see that there's quite a lot of differences and, and, and we can so easily just misinterpret things. Um, the other thing is there's a law of first mention in, in Hebrew. In other words, um, when, you, when you get to a place in the Bible where, say for example, they, they, they mention fig leaves. Um, a good example is when Jesus um, cursed the fig tree. Now, we all have our ideas of why Jesus goes to fig tree, but one thing I know is that Jesus was definitely not a bad farmer. I mean, Jesus made, <laughs> made the tree. 
And he was also not a bad farmer, because he knew it wasn't in season. So why would he get so angry if he sees a, 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 a tree with fig leaves on them and no fruit? And would he now teach his followers, oh, get very angry when you're hungry? No. <laughs> you need to look at where fig trees was, uh, or fig leaves was first mentioned, and we go right back to the Genesis, when um, Adam and Eve decided that they're going uh, to trade complete oneness with uh, 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 with likeness or a possible likeness uh, for, uh, for God. And then they obviously, uh, the, the Hebrew um, version says that uh, the, the, uh, the enemy malarred them, lifted their heads so that they knew that they were, they were naked. So then they covered themselves with fig, fig leaves. So Hebrews, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew way of thinking why Jesus cursed that fig tree, for example, was because he said that um, our... The way that we try to cover ourselves is unfruitful. And, and that basically is the reason why Jesus cursed the fig tree. It wasn't because there wasn't fruit or he didn't know that it wasn't in season or um, things like that. The next thing that I want to uh, quickly touch on is firstborn and secondborn. In um, the Hebrew culture, it was very, very important who was firstborn. The reason was because um, a firstborn always had to be the judge of the family and he had to be judged. He had to take on judgment. The second, third, fourth, fifth, and whatever born, they always got the, uh, the grace. Um, when, when we were all born under Adam, so that means we, um, uh, he's, our, he's first born, so that means we um, don't get the grace, but uh, we get the judgment. judgment. Um, when you, when you, walk into what Jesus has for you, you he becomes your firstborn. So then um, he takes the judgment and you get the grace. Very, very important and very incredible. If you look at the lineage of, of Jesus, not one single one in that lineage is firstborn. They're all secondborns. When um, Joseph, for example, um, when he was thrown in that pit, who spoke them out of killing him? Reuben. Why? Reuben was the firstborn. If they killed Joseph that day, he would have paid for it. So um, also uh, bear that in mind when you read scripture that there was a, there's a, um, um, it's very important to know who's firstborn and secondborn. The other thing that I wanted to quickly say is in, in, in the Hebrew culture, if you are sick or you it's ridiculous if you read Leviticus. If, you have, if you're wearing glasses or whatever the case may be, you were considered um, unclean. The word was temei. So if you're unclean, you have to kind of say all the time, temei, 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 so that people don't touch you. Because if they touch you, you also become unclean. Um, then Hebrew people don't speak. They don't say anything until it's foundationally built in here. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you, if you look at Jesus', um, how he walked and what he did, everything he said manifested. Why? Because it was already in here. It was in his character, and it was in his environment. Um, the other thing, they repeat words. They, if, if they say, for example, my God, my God, it means that it is exceptionally important. They, it's like putting an exclamation mark on that, on that word. 
Um, or they make counter statements. Jesus did it in the prayer that he taught us. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the same thing. But because he repeated it, um, it means that it is of utmost importance. And the last thing I wanted to point out was they read um, scripture, the, the Hebrew people. They read it for identification, not for the content. That is why when Jesus taught, he, he, there were so many um, parables that he taught. And that parable was there for the, the hearers of that parable, like the uh, Pharisees, for example, to say or to now figure out, who am I in this story? There's normally two or three characters in a the, in the, in the Hebrew parable. And then they had to figure out, okay, who am I? Who am I in that? And I think looking at the Old Testament, and if you read the Old Testament, remember it's a living word. That word wasn't just history. It is, it's still relevant today. So if you read a story, find yourself in that story, and you'll see that, I mean, a lot of things open up for you. Right. Awesome. Okay. So that... that already, such a wealth of information, but that's just so that when you're reading the verse, maybe something of what Deanne said will jump out at you to make you kind of go, oh, wow, but who am I in this story? Or um, what, what would the function of, of this thing have been? You know, it, just to, to understand that there's so many more layers and um, nuances to, to everything that we read. Um, and I think one of the things that was fascinating when we chatted is that you, you said that a name is not simply a name. Um, it, there, there's more to a name, and particularly when it comes to God. Um, so can you just share, explain that a bit? Yeah, a name is not just a name. Like I said, it's a prophetic utterance of character, but then also a name is also an environment. It is something you wear that, like I said, um, the Bible talks about clothe yourself with Christ. So it's, it's more an environment as well. And I think the best place to start is with a, um, with a prayer that Jesus taught us. Now, I mean, this guy that taught us this prayer, um, he predicted and he pulled off his own death and resurrection. So I think it's pretty cool to follow this guy. Okay, let's see what he said. He said, our Father, sorry, it was supposed to be on there, but um, I'm sure that you all know uh, Matthew 6. Our Father um, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want to just read that first uh, bit of his, uh, of his prayer. If you translate that prayer or you go back to the original script, it reads like this. Our supplier who is in the air that I breathe. I acknowledge your environment. Our supplier, who is in the air that I breathe, I acknowledge your environment. Now, isn't that incredible? Firstly, where's heaven? I mean, we, yeah, we all think it's there somewhere, but we're not really sure. So how do you relate to a God when you don't actually know where he is? That word heaven is the, is the Greek word euneros. And in, it's, it's plural, number one. So if you want to use the word heaven, you have to say heavens, which I think brings Jesus down a, a notch or two. Um, but in 90% of uh, Hellenit, Hellenistic uh, literature, literature, say it to me. Literature. <laughs> literature. It was translated, air that I breathe. So... Um, first of all, that is where Jesus is. It's wonderful to relate to a God that you, to, uh, that, that you know that he's here by me. Um, the second thing I wanted to point out was hallowed be your name. That word hallow, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important word in that entire prayer. Because hallow means um, to 
become aware of. Um, I'm going to read it to you, um, what it means. Um, the word hello is the Hebrew word, it, it's actually called kadash, or there's a, a Greek word that's, uh, that it says hagiaso. It means to render, to acknowledge, to become aware of, to uh, separate the profane from the sacred or to purify. In other words, become aware of that name. Become aware of who he is. Become aware of his character and whatever his, his name is about. Um, in our private lives uh, with God, for example, it all, always centered around an awareness of something called God. And his name is an environment. You'll see in Exodus uh, 34, for example, where he says, God talks about himself. He says, um, I'm compassionate, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in love, I'm gracious, I'm forgiving. Um, that, is, that is the environment of God. And his name has got benefits. Um, the, like I said, uh, when, when I translate the Hebrew prayer, it's, it's basically our supplier who is in the air that I breathe, I acknowledge your environment. I was thinking about a song, that song, This is the Air I Breathe. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. That guy had that revelation that God is in fact in the air that you breathe. He is the air that you breathe. Um, right. Uh, Dion, what, why is it so important to understand that hallowing and, and how can that translate to our lives? Okay. Um, to, 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 um, we have a, it, it, I gathered this. If we have to, in that prayer, hello God, we have also got a choice to hello other things, don't we? We can hello or become aware of our own um, self. We can become aware of... Um, our own fears, uh, we can uh, become aware of whatever we create around ourselves. Um, some of us, or most of us, I think, create images of ourselves to impress other people that, don't, that we don't even like. But thank you so much. I really needed that. So, yeah, you can um, hallow that, or you can hallow the name of Jesus. Now, here is the, this is incredible. The truth is, whatever you hallow in secret will manifest in public. If I hallow my own securities in secret, I bet you, if I open my mouth, it's going to manifest in public. If I hallow my own fears in secret, that is exactly what's going to manifest in public. But if I hallow the compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious and forgiving God. That is what, what's going to um, manifest in public. And this is not uh, taken from um, imaginations too. This is the guy who, who, <laughs> who uh, pulled off his own death and resurrection, who said that. Um, I want to take you on a journey quickly. Um, and this is now where we start to see how, how God actually introduced himself to man. Um, Should I call Shalab? Um, not not, not yet. yet. <laughs> okay. How did God introduce himself to man? In Genesis, he um, appeared to Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I am El Shaddai, which means God of um, all might. Um, and he said, but I want to uh, make a covenant with you. So Abraham obviously reckoned, yeah, no, that's fine. So who are you? Um, I am God Almighty. 
Um, and he made a covenant with Abraham. And that is all they knew about God, that he is called God Almighty. So Abraham had a son, and he obviously called, uh, he told his son, we are serving God Almighty. And his son had a son, and he told Jacob, Jacob, we are serving God Almighty. And Jacob had 12 sons, and he told his sons, we are serving God Almighty. We know that because when they asked Joseph in the, in the, uh, when he was in jail, for example, who do you serve? He said, I serve God Almighty. 500 years this went on. And then after 500 years, God um, shows himself to Moses and he said, Moses, I am the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure Moses would have said, but no, you are not Jehovah, you are uh, um, God Almighty, because the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is actually God Almighty. And God said, no, um, I'll read you the scripture. Oh, the, where, where God uh, showed himself to, um, to Abraham is in Genesis 35, 1, where he says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase. So God shows himself to Moses in Exodus 3, uh, 3 verse 6, and he said, I am Jehovah. I appeared to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. Now, this is really confusing. I don't know if you find that confusing, but I found this very confusing. Because first of all, God made a covenant with um, Abram. And now God is like changing his name. I want to show you how, how important a name is in covenant. So I want to ask Sheldon to, to come up. And I just want to go through um, how a normal um, Hebrew covenant is made. And while I'm doing that, I want you to think about the fact that you are in covenant with God as well. Okay, because God knew, uh, um, used exactly this to make a covenant with, with you and with me. Okay, first of all, where's, where's your coat? Sorry, can I have the, <laughs> the code? <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Thank you. The first thing, okay, you are now a Hebrew people. We've got uh, more than two because everything that happened in the Bible, you'll see that there always had to be um, two witnesses. For example, when, when, they, when, um, when that, they brought that lady who was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, they, they had to have two witnesses to stone that woman. So what Jesus, in effect, did was he, uh, he took away all the witnesses, and he said to her, go in shalom. Otherwise, she had to be stoned, uh, stoned because, I mean, he, uh, he was, uh, Jesus was obviously following the, the Torah, but because he had, um, it, the word is called shmirka, um, he had authority, he could make his own yoke. Yoke, so by the way, is not something that you put on yoke, it's a, it's a rabbi's way of it, interpreting scripture and doing life. I think I talk too much. Um, Okay, the first thing, we are now going to make a, um, a covenant, Sheldon and I. The first thing we do is we're going to trade our coats, okay? I'm going to give Sheldon my coat, and he's going to give me his coat. <laughs> okay, so now in the Hebrew um, way of thinking, a coat is everything that you are. Everything. So what I'm doing now is I'm putting everything that I am on him. 
and he is putting everything that he is on me. Now think about the covenant with God. God put, he took all your whatever, and he put it on him. And he gave you his coat, who he is, and you are wearing it right now. That is why when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. Because you are wearing that coat. The second thing that we would do is we would trade belts. Now, you don't have a belt, hey? Oh, you have one, yeah. <laughs> okay, now, I'm... G- <laughs> Yo. <laughs> okay, what does this mean? For us, it's a, it's, um, it's a fashion statement. And for the Hebrews, it, 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 it weren't because it wasn't, because that is where they carry their weapons. So now, what I'm saying to Sheldon is, I give you my weapons. And Sheldon is giving me his weapons. Which means that if he is in trouble, if he caused you know what, I have to run and I have to defend him, whether he's right or whether he's wrong. Okay? And he's got to do the same with me. Obviously, if he doesn't come to my rescue, uh, this covenant is, he negates this covenant. That is why Jesus said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because he gave you his weapons. The third thing that we would do is, we would quote Deuteronomy 28, all the blessings and the cursings. Okay, you go. (laughs) We're not going to quote those. Um, It was basically saying, If I keep to this covenant, um, may the blessings come on me. If I don't, let all the curses come on me. That's basically what it is. The next thing that we would do is we would cut an animal in half, and um, we would walk a figure of eight. (laughs) We would walk walk a figure of eight around this this, uh, animal that we've now cut in half. Why? Eight is... The new beginnings. That's why the Bible says if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The old has gone. That's, that is why this, it says there. Um, the next thing we would do is we would cut hands. So I would take a knife and I would cut his palm. And then he would take a knife and cut my palm. The sign of covenant is always a, is, is, is a, a scar in the hand. The Bible tells us that your name is actually the scar in Jesus' hand. So when the enemy comes to Jesus and says, oh yeah, she did that, he did that, Jesus says, talk to the hand. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing that we would do is is we would trade surnames. Now this is where because we are talking about names. So um, Sheldon would become Sheldon Nordea Smith, and I would become Dion Smith Nordia. What does that mean? I gave him my name so he can write checks on my behalf. He can sell my children. He can sell my land. He can do everything with that name. God has given us his name. When God said, don't use my name in vain, he didn't mean don't um, blaspheme or don't use it out of context. He means don't write checks that I wouldn't sign. That is how we use God's name in vain. 
The last thing that we would do is a bread ceremony. Oh, I forgot the part where we have to um, take hands. Yeah. <laughs> We're now going to take hands, and, and, and the, our blood that we now just cut, it would drip onto this animal, and then it will, will become a blood covenant. And the last thing that we would do is Sheldon would take bread from his house and feed me, and I would take bread from my house and feed him. Because not only is God on me, his life is now in me. Okay, so that is how a Hebrew person used to make a covenant. Thanks, Sheldon. You want your belt back? <laughs> Thanks. Oh, don't worry, it's fine. I'll get it later. Okay, so now we've got a bit of a problem here, don't we? We've got God saying he's God Almighty, and then he tells, he tells uh, Moses, I'm actually Jehovah. In Hebrew thinking, he did not change his name. He expanded his name. He's now, you are now in covenant with God Almighty, and you are in covenant with Jehovah. Jehovah who? Just Jehovah. I think you wanted to ask something. Is that okay? Okay, so for the rest of the Old Testament, God started adding to his name. Adding to his name. He started showing people, this is who I am. This is what I do. In um, Exodus 15, uh, 22, he becomes Jehovah Rapha. Uh, the God that heals. In other words, there's a supply of healing in that name, and it's available in the covenant. I'm just going to run through all the names. This is not all of them. I mean, you can go and have a look. There's many more. Um, in Exodus 17, he became Jehovah Nisi, your victory. So there's a supply of victory in that name. Um, he became, in Genesis 22, he became Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Um, Jehovah Shammah, your ever-present God. Jehovah Shalom, your peace. Jehovah Sitkanu, God, your sanctifier. Jehovah Ra, your shepherd. So he started expanding his name and the, and, and, and the understanding of who he was. Uh, but it just hit me, you know, that means that we know more about God than what Abram did. Way more. I mean, we know Jesus. Um, in Exodus 20, something exceptionally interesting happens. Um, God is giving the Ten Commandments to his people. Now, um, just, I'm not going to go into this at all because it's a teaching on its own. But the Ten Commandments, the word law, for example, was never in there. The Ten Commandments is actually the Ten Word Ketubah. It was a marriage contract, basically. The whole Bible is about a wedding. Exodus is just marriage talk from, from start to finish. So God is giving the Ten, I'll call it the Ten Commandments to, to Moses, and Moses presents it to his people, and what, how does his people respond? Here he's, they got offered a, a marriage contract. He wanted to marry his people, and what do they say? Moses, you speak to us, because if God speaks to us, we will surely die. So basically, they said, no. Now, I want to ask you, how would you feel... If, if you propose to someone and you say, you know, I really, really love you, and that person says, oh, that's nice, <laughs> how did God respond? 
He said, you've rejected me with a rejection, but wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come there and bless you. How freaking amazing is that? That is what he said. If you bless my name, I will come there and I will bless you there. Bless is the word where we get the word benediction from. It means to call finish what has happened in a, um, in a congregation or in a church service or whatever. Um, that means if you need healing, you honor the name of Jehovah Rapha. If you need victory, you, you honor that name because, I mean, there's healing, there's um, provision, and there's everything in those names. There's a supply of healing, of victory, of peace, of provision, of uh, compassion, joy in the name of Jesus, in the environment that surrounds us. And we can reach into, into that just because of covenant. And as we honor his name, he will come there and bless and call, finish over our lives what we have blessed. Now, how do we access that name? Um, in, in Psalm we read, and this is a, a later writer that um, responded on this. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits. Um, who forgives all our iniquities. He, who heals all our diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who who's, um, satisfied your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. It's the same as saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. The same as, bless the Lord, O my soul, and remember what is available in the name. So there's a progression. There's now a progression. God is now adding to his name, adding to his name, adding to his name. Where did this stop? It stopped in 1 John 17 when Jesus prayed this prayer. This is amazing. He said, Father, I have manifested your name. That is huge. Why? Because to manifest someone's name means he became everything, everything that God was. He mani manifested victory. He manifested healing. He manifested provision. Remember when he grabbed the, the coin out of the fish's uh, mouth? He, he manifested everything. That means that he became everything God is. And now this is the most exciting part. I can actually jump up and down. What happened now? God gave him a name. Because of this, God gave him a name that is above every other name, above everything in heaven, everything on earth, and the Bible even says everything underneath the earth. I mean, can you get, can you get a more powerful name than that? No. That is the name of Jesus. In other words, Jesus became the incompilation of everything God is. Every single name, every single thing that God in his character was, Jesus became. Um, a later writer says this, For Jesus did not consider equality with God something to consider, but God has given him a name that is above every other name. Jesus is the encapsulation of Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisa, Jehovah Sitkanu. That is freaking amazing. I don't know if that doesn't excite you, but it excites me. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter in a, into a relationship with Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sitkanu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shammah, all encapsulated in one name, Jesus. Philippians is it Philippians 2.9? Yeah, that says, because of that obedience, 
God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. So, in Luke 13, 15, something great happens. Very interesting. Remember the Hebrew covenant was for, for Abram, for his children, his children's children, and their children, and their children, and all who calls on the name. In Luke 13, what happens is there's this poor woman, and she was crippled for 18 years. So, she came to Jesus, and Jesus healed her completely. And lo and behold, there are religious people who's now got problems with this. And Jesus is like, what is your problem? And they said, but it's the Sabbath. Can't you heal her on Monday? <laughs> what, what? I want you to listen to the answer that Jesus gave him. He said, I haven't got it uh, on my notes now, but what he said was, um, so Jesus gave the reason why he heals her simply because she's a child of Abraham. He said, should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be healed? So his reason for healing that woman is simply because she was a, 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 a child, an heir of Abraham. And it's all about covenant. So what, what has this to do with us? I mean, does it affect you? Does it affect me? I'm so happy to tell you that yes, it does. Galatians 3.29 says, listen to this. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abram belongs to you. Isn't that incredible? Right, we're almost there. We're going to land this almost. So if you belong to Christ, you are then Abram's seed and heirs according to his promise. In other words, in the covenant of God, you have complete access to everything, to every name, to the benefits that there is in that name. If you need healing today, you can lift up the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jehovah Rapha is in that, in that name. If you need provision today, you can lift up the name of Jesus for Jehovah Jireh is there. If you need victory today, you can lift up the name of Jesus because Jehovah Nisi is in there. If you need peace, you can lift up the name of Jesus because Jehovah um, Shalom is in there. If you need righteousness today, remember when we had the covenant? You are wearing his righteousness. You are. Someone said previously, I, I, I think it was someone who preached, he said, I could not believe that God says I'm righteous. Yes, you are not righteous because of your own works, but you are righteous because you're wearing God's clothes. You, you're wearing his jacket. That is why you're righteous. If you are lost today, if you feel like, I don't know, uh, I just don't know where I'm going. You can lift up the name of Jesus because Jehovah, um, he's your shepherd, Jehovah Ra. It's called Jehovah Ra. Your shepherd is there. I want you, if I may, to sing a song with me. It, is, it comes from Psalm where 
David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And I want you to really um, hello that name. Become aware of the air that you breathe. Become aware of God in and around you. And hello that, because if you, come, if you, if you came here today with a need, it doesn't, doesn't matter what that need is, God will come and he will call bless over you that what you are um, hallowing today. So we do that. Thanks so much, Dion. While they set up, I'd just like to, um, to just pray, and then we're going to sing the song. And then, as always, if you'd like prayer, please come up for prayer. Um, dear Father, we just, we just thank you for the absolute splendor of your word and how it's all put together for our deep understanding and connection with you. We thank you for your son who manifested all of your names, and it was just out of such an absolute act of love. And so, Father, we just, we just come before you today. We just want to be so conscious of you. We want to allow a deep work in our hearts to understand who you are, what part of your name we can trust in for where it is that we're lacking or needing a touch, Lord, of who you are. And knowing always that whatever you do and ask God, you also want to do through us in the world beyond us. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can go into this year just more aware of who you are, your character, your nature, and your promises. Thank you, King. Amen.